Can I go on and say Happy New Year to you guys? I don't know if you're like me, but there's just something about a reset. You know, everybody likes to, you know, hit the reset button from time to time. That's what it means sometimes as we look towards the new year. Uh, We're so glad you're here, though, because that's a great uh, way to start off a new year or to end a year, right? So as you're standing to your feet, we've got so much in store for you today. We got a special speaker that's uh, here every. He's been here uh, several years, um, you know, about this time. But uh, we just want you to just take a deep breath from all the stuff that we went through through Christmas. Maybe your Christmas has been great. Maybe it was one that was filled with a little bit of chaos, and uh, maybe just need uh, just hit that reset button. Uh, but we're going to sing a song right out of the gate. It's going to. Make your hands clap, you know, may make you do this for some of you, you know, people that's been in church a long time. So let's just praise the Lord together. Amen. Wandering into the night. Wanting a place to hide this weary soul Oh, this bag of bones I've tried with all my might But I just can't win the fight I'm slowly drifting in Like a vagabond to believe my doubts are burning yeah like ashes in the wind so so long to my old friends burning in bitterness you just keep moving yeah cause you ain't welcome here 
Our speaker today, his name is Mark Jones, the brother of this guy up here that's been here playing guitar and leading worship for many years. Can you just give a warm welcome, a big hand clap of this guy here? Hey, good morning, Shelby Christian Church. Uh, am I on? There we go. I hear me. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. I just I look forward to this every year. It's so gracious of you guys to let me come back. Uh, this holiday weekend is really big for you because tomorrow starts 2024. It's big for me for another reason. Tomorrow is the 40th anniversary of my ordination into ministry. And I just can't believe that. Yeah, I don't know where it went. Um, thanks. Thank you. I was four years old when I was ordained, in case you're trying to do the math there. I don't know. But um, seriously, I, it just, that just is mind-blowing. And... I was thinking about, you know, somebody sort of over here, he's been here forever, you know, when they said, how many years have I been here preaching? I kind of added it up. I think I've preached like six months worth of Sundays here. You know, I mean, I've been here 25, 26 times over the last 40 years, and I just, I look forward to it every time. I love your staff. I love this church. I love this building. I'm a little jealous. And uh, man, just this, just thank you. Thank you. Um, so 40-ish plus years ago, I was a student in Bible college. In fact, I got ordained kind of early because I was preaching on the weekends and I needed to do weddings in this little church. And back then you couldn't go online, you know, and just sort of sign up to, to do weddings. You had to be ordained. And so my church ordained me and I was able to do that. But while I was in Bible college back in the 80s, Cincinnati Bible College, I went to chapel twice a week for four years. That's a lot of sermons, dozens, hundreds of sermons. I remember four of them. 
Now, I'm not being ugly to all those people who came in and preached. Um, I ate a lot of meals during those years too. I don't remember the meals, but I'm glad I ate during those four years. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you kind of need to be fed regularly. You're going to forget this sermon by next Sunday when Hamlin gets back up, or you might forget it by this afternoon. Okay, that's okay. At least you got fed, and you're going to forget Hamlin sermons too. And so it's just the way it works, and we understand that. But we want you to be fed. And so hopefully that's going to happen. But I remember four sermons when I was in college. Two of them were preached by my favorite professor, Dr. Steve Hooks. He was my Old Testament professor, brilliant man, great communicator. The first one that I remember was a Christmas sermon. It was based on those verses where the shepherds uh, heard from the angels. They went to Bethlehem. They saw the baby Jesus. Then it says they went and told everyone what they had seen and heard. And all who heard it were filled with wonder. And he said, no wonder they wondered. And he talked about the wonder of Christmas. I loved that sermon. I got the cassette tape and played. If you don't know what a cassette tape is, ask your mom. Um, I got a cassette tape. I burned that thing out. I just listened to it over and over. It's a great message. The second sermon that I remember from him had probably more of a profound impact on me. It was called Come Before Winter. Come before winter. Now, he's not the first person to have preached a sermon by that title. The first person that I know of was Clarence McCartney back in 1915. It's based on a verse at the very end of 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul wrote 2 Timothy, a second letter to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. Paul knew that he was going to be put to death soon. Paul was not under house arrest anymore at this point. He was in a Roman dungeon. And he knew that his time was short. And he wrote to Timothy, his, his son in the faith, whom he loved so much. And he gave him advice and he told him to endure and to persevere. But he also said, Timothy, come, come see me before my time. Come to me quickly, he said. And then right at the very end of the letter, he said, do your best to come before winter. And Clarence McCartney explained in his sermon that then Steve Hooks, my professor, shared later that there are, there are seasons of opportunity. Think of it as the autumn of opportunity that will lead to the winter of regret unless we say yes to the opportunity. You understand what I mean? God puts these open doors before us. God gives opportunities to us. We have this opportunity to step through the door, to say yes to God, or we can say no, or we can wait, and sometimes that door closes. Clarence McCartney said that autumn is the perfect metaphor of all that fades. For just a moment, it's just an explosion of beauty, and then it's gone. And opportunities come into our lives like that. It might be an opportunity to repair a relationship, an opportunity to, to forgive somebody, an opportunity to, to, to get involved in ministry, an opportunity to, to give our life to Christ. And we'll talk about some more of that, but, but God puts these doorways in front of us, and sometimes they're only open for a little while. And so we have decisions to make. Come before winter. It's what Paul said to Timothy. Do your best, Timothy, to hurry. And, and then the way they, these guys, these people that I respect so much, these preachers, painted the picture, they said, you know, we don't know how Timothy responded to the letter he received. History does not tell us 
what happened after Paul wrote that letter? Did Timothy receive it? And, and was he so captivated by the words of, of his mentor? Was, was he so overwhelmed with the opportunity that he dropped everything? He was in Ephesus. He was serving the church that Paul had started. He was the pastor there. He was there to appoint elders. He was there to, to preach sermons. But did he drop all of that in capable hands and hurry to Paul's side? Did he travel from Ephesus to the sea? And across the sea to Greece, and then across from Greece to Italy, and then from Italy to Rome, where Paul was in prison. I hope so. I would love to think that as Paul was in his final days facing death, that Timothy showed up and Timothy was there and Timothy snuck food into the dungeon, you know, and gave him some special treats and that they were able to to just talk about the Lord and talk about serving together and that he blessed Paul in those last days. I, I love that picture. But there is another possibility. Timothy was so busy. There was so much that needed to be done. He had to appoint those elders, and then he had to help them grow in their faith. He had sermons to preach. He had lessons to write. There were so many needs. And he was so busy. And when he finally was able to pull himself away, and he got to the shore of the Aegean Sea, and they said, there's no boats to Greece. You can't possibly get to Rome. It's too late in the year. You'll have to wait until spring. And when he got there in the spring and he found the brothers in Rome, they said, oh, you're Timothy then. Paul every day asked if you had come. And when they took him to his death, his last words were, please give my love to Timothy if he comes. And that's possible too. We don't know. We don't know what Timothy did with this letter. All we know is that Paul wanted him there so badly. Come before winter. I preached a series on 2 Timothy back in October as autumn was upon us. And the whole idea was this. The autumn of opportunity will lead to the winter of regret unless we say yes to God. Now, the third sermon that I heard in Bible College Chapel that was so profound to me was a man, I don't even remember his name. He was on staff at the school. He did not teach classes. I forgot what his role was. I just know that he was around for a bit. He got up in chapel one day, to my surprise and everybody else's, and he he preached a sermon that made me look at Scripture in a way that I never had before, and I never have since. I've never heard anybody else do what he did in chapel with the text of Scripture that day. It it was so moving. It, it, It made me see Paul the Apostle. It made me see the Word of God in a way that I never really had before. I interacted with Scripture in a way that I never had before. Now, would you like to know what he did? You're going to have to stick around because this is a sermon in three parts, and that's my first part, okay? But if you stick around, if you don't sneak out during the prayer or something, then you'll be able to hear uh, in just a minute what he did that was so impactful to me. We're just going to continue to worship the Lord.
Christ is my firm foundation The rock on which I stand And everything around me is shaking I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus Cause He's never
We've sing songs before in the past. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. On Christ the solid rock I stand. But he is faithful. He's true. And we just continue to worship him and sing the praises of our God. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. And he's been my fourth man in that fire time after time. And born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And what he did for me on Calvary is more than enough. Trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never. just a little bit of you. I want all of you. I want you to surrender your life to me so that I can do something with And I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. That's why I trust him. That's why I trust in my soul, the Lord, and He heard, and He answered. I saw the Lord, and He heard, and He answered. I saw the Lord, and He heard, and He answered. That's why I trust in. Is that your testimony? I saw the Lord, and He heard, and He answered. I saw the Lord. 
thank you, Lord, for allowing us to just be your children, be in your presence, Lord. We thank you for the word that you're going to bring forth. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank my God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which lived first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. (laughs) I've been reminded of your faith. I've done this so many times, and I am having a moment. I'm going to start over. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank my God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which lived first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also and therefore dear God for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands for God did not give us a spirit of fear but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me his prisoner but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. 
But may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched intently for me until he found me. May God grant that he'll find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying and the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. He he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and it only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like cancer. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who've wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. But God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and of clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. Now, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in hopes that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they may, they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, 
boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and take control over vulnerable women. They're loaded down with sins. They're filled with all kinds of evil desires. They're, they're always learning, but they're never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, the kinds of things that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil men and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. How from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. But, But look, not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best. To come to me quickly. For, for Demas, because he loved this world, he's deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Tychicus I sent to Ephesus. 
when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker has done me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. (laughs) But the Lord stood at my side, and he gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Also, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. He will bring me me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus has stayed in Corinth. Trophimus, I left sick in Miletus. Timothy, do your best to come before winter. Eubulus greets you. So do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the truth that it shines into our lives, the light that it brings us, Lord. May we walk by your truth. May we learn from your truth. May we learn your truth that we might live lives to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.
I'm not one to point fingers, but that little glitch earlier was all my brother's fault. Uh, <laughs> it's like I knew he was in the audience, and I really wanted to do it so well, and that was pride, and that was bad, but I did. I'm just confessing. Um, anyway, God is good. So I told you there were four sermons that had such an impact on me when I was in college. The third one was this guy who got up, and he just quoted the book of Philippians. And I had never engaged with Scripture like that before in that way. I heard it differently. It was like Paul was talking to me. I don't know, it was just, it was just profound. And so it motivated me 40-ish years ago to memorize the book of 2 Timothy. And I, I was able to present that several times over a year or so. And then truthfully, I didn't do it again for about 39 years. And this year, I felt like God was telling me I needed to immerse myself in that book again. So four or five months ago, I started. I'm going to be honest with you. My 59-year-old brain is different than my 19-year-old brain. And if I was starting from scratch today, I don't think I could do it. I'm just being honest. Um, But it was still in there somewhere. It just had to come out, and it took a while. Um, But that's not the important point. A lady came up to me at our church after I shared it, and she said something so profound to me. And it was exactly the point, although I couldn't articulate it this way. She said, I could not decide if I was Paul writing it or Timothy reading it. And here's what's so powerful. She did not say to me, Mark, I could not decide if you were Paul or you were Timothy. She said, I couldn't decide if I was. And I thought, that's exactly the point. If we can engage with Scripture, that it's us speaking, it's us hearing it as if it's written to me. And I think when this, when this guy did his presentation in chapel, it made Paul so real to me. Paul was not writing literature. He was writing a letter Paul was a real person. Timothy really was this young man that he had poured his life into that he loved maybe more than any other friend in the world. And when his life was on the line, he wanted that friend more than anybody else to be with him. And we can understand that. And all of a sudden, Scripture becomes so profound and so real to us. You know, I think about Paul, what an incredible man, not perfect, not by a long shot, but what an incredible human being. Paul, Paul was not named Paul at birth. His parents named him Saul. Saul was the first king in Israel. They gave him the name of royalty. 
And I kind of picture Saul growing up feeling a little bit royal. We have every reason to believe that Saul was brilliant. He was educated by one of the greatest teachers, Gamaliel, of that day in the Jewish tradition. He was a Pharisee. He was proud of himself proud of his accomplishments, proud of all that he had done, and he was an enemy of Christ. He was convinced that Christianity was an attack on Judaism, the faith of his fathers, and so he was determined to stamp it out. And when Stephen was stoned for his faith, Paul stood smugly by and watched him die. And that taste for blood to destroy the faith of the Christians got so embedded in him that he traveled to other places to see that Christians were arrested and silenced. And so he went to Damascus and on the way, a light shone from heaven, blinded him for a time, and a voice said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And the voice said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And in that moment, Saul discovered that everything he had believed was wrong. He surrendered his life to Christ. He turned from his past. And that day he was baptized into Christ. And he would later teach us through his writings, that, that repentance means to, to make a U-turn, to put the past in the past and to go in the right direction. And he would teach us that baptism is a picture of being washed clean, all the garbage of the past gone. But more than that, that baptism is a picture of a death and a burial and a resurrection. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. When we are baptized into Christ, he tells us that we are buried with Christ through baptism. We're raised up to live a new life. And Paul's life was new. And God called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles and to take the faith to the extent of the known world. And that's exactly what he did. It was a great calling. But you know something I learned? I just learned this a couple of years ago. I can't believe I got through Bible college. They did not teach me this. I feel like they owe me a partial refund or something. How could I not have learned this? Paul was, was born Saul. He was dedicated at the temple as an infant as Saul, a king in name. He changed his name to Paul. Do you know what the word Paul means? I never knew this. The name Paul means small. No offense if that's your name. But Paul took that upon himself. He didn't want to be associated with royalty. He wanted it to be very clear. It's not about me anymore. But it's about Jesus in me. And he fulfilled his calling and he took the gospel all around the known world and he was persecuted beyond imagination. But Paul fulfilled his calling. There's a verse in the book of Acts. It's Acts 20, 24. I stumbled across this verse and it became my life verse. I have not always lived it out very well, but I've got it tattooed on the calf of my leg and the verse says, I consider my life worth nothing to me 
If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And that's what Paul did. And now you fast forward, he's in this dungeon. He's writing to Timothy, Timothy, come to me. He says, my life is being poured out like a drink offering. We think about the sacrifices of the Old Testament being an animal brought to the altar. But sometimes they poured out an expensive wine as a sacrifice before the Lord. And once it's poured out, you don't put it back in the bottle. It's gone. And he says, my life's like that. I have poured it out for God. Now, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. But not just to me, but to all who long for his appearing. And he fulfilled his calling. And he wrote to a young man, Timothy. We don't know so much about Timothy. He was born to a pagan father, but to a a godly mother. He grew up in the faith. He felt called to ministry. And and Paul blessed him and nudged him and sometimes pushed a little that Timothy might fulfill his calling. And friends, here's the question. Here's the question. What is God calling you to do? We stand with our toes hanging over the edge of 2023 and we're about to plunge right into 2024 what is God calling you to do I'm going to guess you're not going to be the apostle to Gentiles and travel all over the Mediterranean I'm probably not going to do that either it's okay I believe with all my heart that God is calling you to do something Maybe he's calling you to, to, to surrender your life to Jesus, to repent of your past, to put the past in the past, to get baptized into Christ. And there is no reason why you can't do that in 2023 before 2024 begins. There is no reason. And maybe, maybe that's way in the rearview mirror for you, but you have been so lax in your faith and you come and you sit and you leave and, and there's just nothing happening in your life and you need to blow the dust off your Bible and get back into the word of God. Maybe that's God's calling for you. Maybe God's calling for you again, like we said earlier, is that you need to repair a relationship that's been damaged. You need to humble yourself and you need to go and you need to apologize well, yeah, but, but, but they started it. I'm waiting for them to come to me. You know what? Show me that in the Bible. Okay, you go and get that ball rolling. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Maybe God is saying, I need you to serve. You say, well, I'm not very good. <laughs> that's not the point. God has put something in you. It's an insult to him if you don't use it. And listen, That window of opportunity, that autumn of opportunity may just become in 2024 the winter of regret if you don't say yes to God. What is he calling you to do? I believe there's a calling on your life. You might be so far away from God, it's a step toward him. You might have been with him for decades, but there is something he wants you to do this year. What is it? Maybe you know exactly what it is. Maybe you have no idea. Do you have the guts to pray that he'd tell you? (laughs) Somebody sent something to me on the computer the other day, one of those little memes, you know, that, that usually have some humor built in. And it said this, 
When God puts a calling on your life, he has already factored in your stupidity. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> now listen, listen, what that means is, what, what that means is, there is no excuse big enough to say no to God. Well, yeah, but Lord, you have any idea what my past is? Yeah, I, I sure do. <laughs> I know exactly what your past looks like. But Lord, I am such a wreck. I, I, I've absolutely been watching that for your whole life. What is God calling you to do? He's already factored in your weakness, your failure, your sin, your past, your stupidity, and mine, thank God. He has factored that in, and he has something he wants you to do. Okay. I told you there were four sermons in Bible college that that impacted me more than any of the others. The fourth one was preached by our college president, Harvey Bream. Such a great man of God. His sons are friends of mine. I don't remember the text that he preached from. I don't remember the topic of the sermon. I don't remember if there was a bottom line. I just remember one story he told. I was 18 years old. I knew since I was 13 that God had called me to be a preacher. And I was sitting in chapel the first few weeks of my freshman year. And he told a story that embedded itself in me and I've never forgotten it. He went to the very same college in Cincinnati. He was there in the early 1940s. Times were hard then. America was about to enter a horrible war. He was studying for ministry called to be a preacher. He preached on the weekends in a little church, but he needed another job to pay for school. So he got a job at Pogue's department store in downtown Cincinnati. I don't know what the store is like now, but back then it was very nice. It was kind of the place to shop if you were that kind of person, you know what I mean. And I know this is not very politically correct today, but he worked in the fur department and he loved it. He said he worked with fox and mink and chinchilla and they repaired garments and they cleaned garments and they designed and made garments and he loved his job. But what happened is that his boss got drafted and was sent to Europe for the war. And as young as Harvey was, Pogue's department store came to him and they offered him the job of running the fur department, they offered him in 1942, $200 a week. That was a fortune in 1942. He was making $17.50 a week preaching and they offered him $200 a week. And this is the statement he made. I was a kid, never forgotten it. He said, I quit my job at Pogues because I liked furs too well. And I was afraid of what all that money would do to my calling of being a preacher. I quit my job because I was afraid of what it was going to do to me. 
Friends, I don't know what's in the way of your calling. I don't know what's distracting you from your calling. I don't know what's pulling you away from God, but I'm smart enough to know something is because we have an enemy who wants to pull us away. And so my prayer for you is that you would say yes to God in this season of opportunity before it leads to the season of regret. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then you kind of get invited into the story a bit here. There, I believe, maybe somebody's going to get baptized today. Not today? Okay, well, somebody might because we got a whole room full of people here and somebody might just wise up today. Okay? Maybe, maybe it's just time for, not just, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Maybe it's time for you to come and take communion. And today it's going to be profound. Not because of me, please, not because of me. But because God is calling you on this eve of 2024 to step up your game. Maybe, maybe you need prayer. And it might be a prayer of repentance and you need a brother or sister to come alongside you and pray with you. Maybe what you need, let's be honest, is you have no idea what God wants you to do. And you want somebody to pray for wisdom for you. And the Bible says if you ask for wisdom, he'll give it. What's God calling you to do today? We're going to take these moments to respond together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. Thank you for Jesus who rescues us. May we fulfill your calling in our lives while the door is open. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Take time to move and grab your communion or if you need prayer, we have some people over here on the side. Do whatever you want
suffering, Lord. We have peace. We have healing and wholeness, Lord. Do that. We take your bread. The blood that is a symbol of the new covenant that Jesus created There's no promise, no bond greater than a blood covenant. So Father, we remember the blood that was poured out for all of us. We take the juice. Amen. Wasn't that a great message for today? Thank Mark for being here. Thank you for being here and pray that you responded. I know that he was calling us to move the things that God has put on the inside of us. So today as we leave, I just want you to know a couple things. If you had ordered a poinsettia, there's some out here that uh, have your name on it. And we just wish you the greatest new year as we look at 2024. And also... Let's get out of here. Let's love God, love people, and watch Him change the world. We love you. See you next week.